Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's a Monday morning. A little bit in arthritis pain here now. You have to bear with me this morning. Um, today's podcast is being sponsored by Hashem, by Stefanski family, who it's done in the past. I appreciate every time they, we get a sponsor, it enables me to do this. And um, I hope, well, I won't say any, any more on this subject. Uh, Sal had a chance to go and see an unusual a zoological phenomenon, but I'll leave that alone. I'm going to do something a little different this morning. I want to talk about Steinzaltz, who died this past weekend, passed away this past weekend, uh, last couple of days. And that triggered some thoughts in my mind last, you know, over the weekend. And this is going to be a little bit different, not only because somebody just sniffed her, but I'm actually interested in the phenomenon that Steinzaltz represents. Notice his real name is Rav Adin Steinzaltz, or Evan Yisrael. He changed his name later on. By the way, I looked online before I did this, and I saw the Lubavitcher Rebbe told him to change his name, which I thought was interesting. When did he become like Israeli? You know, everybody has to change their name. But he did say Evan Yisrael. But having said that, some people um, achieve a certain uh, status just with one word, like, you know, Malbim. Nobody knows the Malbim's real name, you know. So Steinzaltz, as far as I'm concerned, people of my generation... Steinzaltz, you just call him Steinzaltz, you know what I mean? That's the whole thing. Now, uh, it's the trouble with contemporary figures, especially when they die, is there's a lot of baloney put out there. And you go online, there's a lot of, uh, what you say, cross facts. You know, this one says this, that one says that. And you know what Kennedy said, victory has a thousand fathers and defeat is an orphan. And people always working in the from world on a work of art, which is to touch up your bio, you know what I mean? <laughs> which means... You leave things in, you put things out, uh, all of which is fascinating, but I'm interested in the phenomenon of the Gemaras within the larger context, in my opinion, which is all you ever get here, of the last 150, 200 years. That's what's interesting to me. Steins himself is a very, uh, was a great person, but very weird and unusual history, because he's um, born, excuse me, born in Yerushalayim. Under British mandate in 1937. That's just interesting. So you have a guy growing up in the decade, let's put it this way, he was 11 years old when Israel became a state. So he grew up in the period of the Second World War and the uh, Irgun and the Lechi, you know what I mean, those years of the British mandate with the Jewish uh, terrorism. Uh, and he was bar mitzvah, I guess, that means in 1950, at the beginning of the Ben-Gurion era. So Steins is a product, you're talking about in terms of time and place, of Ben-Gurion Israel, which I think no longer exists, had a certain sewer to it. One of the things, by the way, in the Ben-Gurion Israel is there were no Arabs. You know, uh, at that time, it's the old Israel. They didn't have the Shtachim. And within Israel, the Arabs were under, uh, what's the right word, martial law. You know, they were confined to their villages. You couldn't go out anywhere. So it was a, in, in a certain way, it was a kind of a Jewish Israel. In an interesting way. Now, um, Steinzel himself... Very famously, is a Baal Tshuva, Choser B'Tshuva. But at a time when there wasn't such things. Uh, it's hard to get at the facts of this, and I'm not going to drive myself crazy to make an investigation. But his father, it seems, was a communist. That's what they all write. Which would mean something very weird. There was a small number of Jewish communists who lived a tarted, disastrous life. I'll tell you what I mean. If you're a genuine communist, not that you need to know about all this, <laughs> but if you're a genuine communist, especially after the First World War, so it's Marxist, Leninist, Stalinist communism, there's a certain variety of communism. There's all kinds of cheaters of Marxism. There are many. But the one that became the dominant one that we associate with the Soviet Union, then you're anti-Zionist, and what you say is Jews should not go to Palestine. You know what I'm saying? Adraba. Jews should 
Badafka assimilate. It's a mitzvah within Marxism, Leninism, Stalinism for a Jew to marry a guy and vice versa. That's a mitzvah. You get it? To marry another Jew is like Bidyevid, and to maintain any sort of Jewish associations is a Bidyevid Shabbat Really, it's better to completely observe yourself in the Geisha society. So, some, now there were, having said that, there were some Jews like his father, who for whatever nutty reason said, I want to be a communist. You know, the whole real communism was, was Moscow, as the Jerusalem, but I want to make Aliyah and move to Israel. It makes no sense. <laughs> okay? Makes no sense. So these people usually can't. It's, it, you could do a study on this, such types. They're schizophrenics. You understand that one side. Ralph Cook would be laughing. That one side says you should follow communism, which is a principled atheism. They're anti-religious, and they're very anti-Jewish. On the other hand, you vote with your feet, and, you, and you're living in Yerushalayim. <laughs> it's kind of weird. So therefore, don't be surprised if he was a weirdo, came from a weird family. Because that's a very unusual profile, I just said. Uh, I saw online they had a Hasidic ancestry. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not true. You never know with these things. I'm telling you, you have no idea what, how much baloney is put out deliberately on the internet. But okay, that's a separate thing. And um, and that his mother was really, let's put it this way, the father was not stark anti-religious, the mother was stark anti-religious. But there's a grandmother, a bubby living with him, I think his mother. So I already understand the situation. We see this many times in the history of Baal Shubas, NCSY, all the rest of The kids are more mashpia from the grandparent than from the parent. You understand? Imagine a husband and wife. This is a weird family growing up, and he's an only child. This is an interesting story. Uh, you know, the mother and father are, are strongly anti-halachic. The grandmother's in the house, and she benches left on Friday night. I'm sure there's a lot of fights and all that. Maybe the house was even kosher to satisfy the grandmothers. It's already a mishagas. So you can already see that this is not your typical communist family, even though it seems that the father was a, was a communist. And yet at the same time, I did a little bit of research. The one your typical communist, there were a lot of people, listen to this well, a lot of Jews who joined communism, especially in the 1920s and 30s, literally as an avodah czar, which, which I don't mean as a funny joke. They're looking for an ideal. You get what I'm saying? No, it's, it's a misguided idealism. So it's it's the it's it's the eights of heart, the eights of toe being taken by the eights of heart and put in a certain direction. But the nakuda of it is an idealistic nakuda. And the trick then is to get this person who was a believer in Kaizim, if we can switch him over to believe in Yiddish guy, it's possible, right? If they can come to see that is an ideal. In the history of communism, there are many, many people, if you know the intellectual history of the 20th century, uh, I'm talking about non-Jews particularly, but also Jews, who started out communism and ended up being very religious. Unfortunately, in the history of the 20th century, most of the Jews who started out communism and then switched to being religious went to Christian, Catholic, and things like that. That's a whole interesting Pasha by itself. But if you live in Yerushalayim, at the beginning of the Ben-Kurian era, you're not going to go Christian. The religion you go to is is Jewish. Uh, and again, I don't know the exact details because I hear there's a famous story that Stein's listening to tell all the time. It's too good to be true. But he says, Father wanted him to uh, know how to learn because he said, I don't, you can be a, a, a Picarus, but I don't want you to be an Amaris. I don't believe a communist talk like that. But it doesn't matter. Bottom line is, something weird was going on in the family. And remember, this is the old Yerushalayim of the 40s. Not the biggest line of today. Jerusalem was a fairly small town. And so the Fermis are all over the place. And uh, anyway, for some reason or another, the parents sent him not to a Chilani school, but to a Dati school, which is just very weird. You know, it's a communist sending his kids to Dati school. So he went to Moria and the Mala and all these, uh, you know, Mamlachti uh, Dati situations that they had yesteryear. But clearly, he doesn't seem to have fit in over here. And Somewhere along the line, Lubavitch got to him, and he was the mashpia from some uh, Lubavitchers in Yerushalayim. By the way, it's an old Chabad thing, very, very old, hundreds of years old in Eretz Yisrael. They were there before a lot of other people in Hebron and Tzfas and Yerushalayim. And if what I read was true, then he went and learned for a while in the Lubavitch Yeshiva, or whatever they call it, in Lud. That means after 48, they have a kid growing up. 
his bar mitzvah, and then growing up in the early 50s, it's a very militantly Ben-Gurion era. And uh, in there they had their quote-unquote yeshiva world that time, but he's not somebody who comes up from the literature yeshiva world. That's my point. And he ain't normal, because he was in this place, and this place, and that place. He learned a little bit here, learned a little bit here, then he went, I think he went to, to high school and then dropped out, and then in the end came back and finished the Bagrut, you know, in Israel, they have, like, gymnasiums. So, you know, by the time you finish high school, you're ready to go for college. Meaning, uh, you can skip the undergrad. And um, and then he went back to Yeshiva. So he had a weird kind of situation. He did not, as far as I can see, he didn't get a degree. I always thought that he had a PhD or something like that. But I said, no. With one of these people, he took his school. He went for a while to Hebrew U uh, for math and science stuff, for physics and mathematics. But doesn't seem to have gotten a degree, all of which is interesting. And then he got into clinical education. So here's a, a restless, different type of guy. It's not like he grew up, got from, and went to Hebron Yeshiva. Like he grew up and got from a joint Panavish. You know, that that's like a more typical story. None of that is, is what happened. Instead, he bumped around a lot of these different little other situations. Like, say, a Chabad program over here. I think it was a tiny bit of a time in Mir. A little bit of a time somewhere else. It's, it's, it's just interesting, you know. It's just interesting. Now the key point is, this is a guy. Therefore, his formative years would be nineteen fifties, nineteen fifties. This has been going in Israel, in which everything is not from. But and here's a guy coming from a super non from background. So even though he himself is a rebel against the parents, but he totally understands that world. I mean, these, these are his folks. These are his. The, the the social network he grows up in, he understands the, the Israeli Chilani mentality, and this is the part that's interesting to me. I, I'm just telling you my impression from what I know. That could be right, it could be wrong. My impression of what I know, because he came from his particular background, and he personally had a his service to become from, and to learn, but others did not, because he was like that, so he was able to discern something that most people are not familiar with in terms of the Ben-Gurion generation. This is not known. And that is, those people were secular, but they weren't atheist in this typical sense that you think. Even Ben-Gurion. This is what will surprise people. Uh, that generation of the Mapai bosses, uh, Ben-Gurion, Eshkol, people like that, actually were longing for some kind of religious connection but they couldn't stand the frummies. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? In other words, what they were anti-clerical. What they can't stand is somebody, you know, if you become from there, you're already under the shirts of a rabbi who tells them what I have to do when I can't do it. That they couldn't stand. It's interesting. This is obviously from their upbringing. But if you take that aside and just say, you know, Judaism offers a belief in something powerful out there and uh, there's an ahava and uh, a yira, and there's a, a powerful transcendence, and, you know, spiritual uh, connection. They're actually looking for that, okay? So this is not Lenin, you know what I mean? This is not Karl Marx. Uh, as I said a couple weeks ago, this was the insider of Cook. These Chilonim, by and large, you know, there's exceptions, by and large, they're actually, they're, they're longing for religion, they just have no idea how to, how to express it. And they don't like the from version of it because it, we're, the, the from are a turnoff. Listen, anybody religious, if you're honest, you'll be moda. Most from Jews are a turnoff. Agreed? Most from Jews are a turnoff. It's a shame. It shouldn't be that way. That's the way it is. It's a turnoff. Right? And especially with the control business, you know, you want to be from, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to listen to me when I tell you to do this. If you go against the gedolim, then you're in bad trouble. You have to listen to the rebbe, this, that, and the other. That's the part they can't stand, right? But um, if you could separate that out and just present the religion as a very rich tradition which offers a person a hope, you know, an explanation of life and a, and a direction to go to and a life after death and high ideals and all the rest of it, they would like it. I know I'm talking about it. I think I'm right about this. Now, when I was growing up, nobody thought this way. They all thought they're a bunch of stupid up, of course, and this and that and the other. They're uh, it's, it's more complicated than that. 
and I know this from the biography of some people who were able to penetrate that circle, like Yaakov Herzog, Rav Herzog's son, who was the personal secretary of Ben-Gurion. They all hear all these Mapai, and sometimes even Mapam figures would come to him privately and say, you know, I want to ask you about religion and this and that. They're, they're very interested in it. Now, in the case of Steinsaltz, here's a guy, let's see, if he's born in 1937, so he becomes 20 in 1957, that's already well into the Ben-Gurion era, after the Sinai campaign. He's 21, 22, 23 in the late 50s. And, um, and he's Israeli, you know. But on the other hand, he has been in the Lubavitch Yeshivas and been, uh, maybe in other places, he's been in Hebrew U. So, uh, you know, he has the sprach, let's say, to communicate with the regular Israelis, right? And uh, what it says is that... Uh, he was able to be an early version of what you find today, which is a Kirov speaker. Right? There were figures, and they were looked on highly at that time, who were able to speak to both Machnas. I'm thinking of the Hamalibos, people like that, who had fans both in the firm world and the non-firm world. The Zionist non-firm world. Now, by the way, there were plenty of Zionists that had no interest in religion whatsoever. They're super nothing, this, that, and the other, anti, anti. Golda Meir was like that. Borei gave Bomayim, no question about it. But there were many that were not like that. McGurin himself, surprisingly, was not like that. He just was all screwed up in how to approach it. And he was turned off to the Torah Shabbat Peh. Although not 100%. Anyway, and I hope I'm making sense in all this, but all I can do is ramble. Now, Steinzel started giving uh, talks in Kibbutzim. Because, as far as a communist, he grows up, you know, even if he's wearing a yarmulke now, but he knows the Sprach, he knows... The lingo, he knows the socialist Zionist culture. He can, he can connect with the audience. You know what I'm saying? He can connect with the audience. By the way, he gave a good speech. This is even better than the Panam Bisharov. Panam Bisharov once said, I think you know this, that, uh, you know, one day they should prepare a kosher kitchen for Ein Charod, which may, uh, or Tehillim for Ein Charod, which was a super mapam kibbutz, very militantly anti-religious. But Panam Bisharov famously predicted, you'll see one day they'll become from and they'll need to hell him or something like that. And Steinzel gave a talk, like in 1960, and he said, one day, uh, one day, you'll need a trafe kitchen for your parents. <laughs> Do you get that? Now, the time will come when everybody will come from, they'll all keep kosher, but the older generation will still grow up trafe, and so they'll need a special kitchen to serve trafe for the parents. That's a good line. Anyway, so this is the world, I would say, between the age of 20 and 30, more or less. More or less. 20 and 28. In which he moved. Yeah, he taught in high schools for a while, and things like that, in the Mizrahi school system. But I think Zikr's success was, and he must have seen this, was connecting with these Israeli non-from audiences. You know, um... Because, you know, when you talk about in an intelligent way, remember he went to college. Tell him an intelligent way about Amuna, about Torah things, you don't push your, you, you don't come across obnoxious. You, you touch a, a lot of buttons in people. A lot of buttons. Now, at the same time, you know, uh, he started giving some Gemara classes here and there, and that's what I, that's how best I can make out. So here's a guy, 24, 25, 26, let's say he goes for a week, the weekend, and he gives a class and a Gemara, and an interesting Gemara somewhere, you know, for the people in the kibbutz, or something like that, and afterwards they say, oh, you explained it so well, you see where I'm going, out of this came the um, idea to do the Steinzel's Gemara. Um, what's interesting is that uh, big machers in the Mapai party, like Eshkol, who became the Prime Minister of Israel, he was number two under Ben-Gurion, then he was number one, he's prime minister. They actually approached him. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's incredible to read. And they said, you know, why don't you make a Gemara, basically, you and I close times this Gemara. And those, the non-from went to him because they were longing to have some kind of access to Gemara. And listen, they're not coming down to make a shear, you know, not coming down to, 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 to finish Shas, to learn Yavamas. But parts they want to learn. And it means there's a certain... A feeling out there that, uh, you know, there's a whole Moreshet that we don't know, right? Ben-Gurion had a Mishagas against the Gemara, 
but he was a big fan of the Zohar. Now, he had no idea what the Zohar is, but he heard that Rabbi Ashlag is translating the Zohar into Hebrew, and he got him money. He was interested in that. Why? He wants to find some connection with Torah Shalopeh, as long as it's not Gemara, because to him, he must have had bad experience growing up with the Gemara. Now, by the way, there's a lot of people like that. He had a bad rabbi, this and that and the other, can turn you off for life to Gemara. We all know this. This is true in America today like it was then. Israel today like it was then. And the, now I remember, the person who was impressed with the way he gave the shear was the Speaker of the House, the, uh, the Speaker of the Knesset, Kaddish Luz. is a name from old time, from Ben-Gurion era. He was an old kibbutznik, and Mapai type guy, Mapa, Mapai. And uh, even though he came from, uh, you know, the rebellious background, you see they were yearning for the youth to, to have some connection. And he told him, he said, why don't you start making what you and I call Steins Oskar It's out of that that this happened because um, they got him government money. And he started in 1965 or 67. Um, started in 1965. That's it, 64. So that means he was 25, 26 years old. This is interesting. He's a wunderkind, you know, a young guy uh, who has some kind of a smicha. I think he got smicha when he was 20, 21. That's not a real smicha, you know. And, you know, they give those things out. And um, and he didn't have a college degree, right? But something about him, you know what I mean? They put it together. And um, from the non-from uh, came the idea for this. And I also think Rob Zevin was in the background because somehow or other he had a Kesha with Rob Zevin. And I tell you, now the YouTube is amazing and the Chabad is double amazing. It's like the KGB. They have, if, if, if anything has ever been online, they, they have access to it. And I found some Chabad thing. They have his Chasana. You understand? Uh, Steins of the Chasana, whatever, whoever made the, the movie pictures, the movies, Chasana, we're talking in the 60s. Uh, they have it over there. It was on uh, Chabad or wherever. And the uh, Rav Zevin is uh, the, the big speaker over there. So I can totally see somebody, Rav Zevin, who is completely uh, sensitive to this issue, saying, go for it and trying to make a Gemara because my hands are full with the Encyclopedia Talmud and who knows what else. And uh, and that's how it started. So in other words, from day one, he had uh, encouragement from the highest circles in Israel, which is remarkable. The Speaker of the House, Kaddish Luz, and Eshkol, and uh, Pinchas Lavon, who head of the Histo group. It's, it's, it's quite a story. And he spent a couple years working out exactly how to make the Gemara. Now, I see now that he said that the Lubavitcher Rebbe, because he became a, a Lubavitcher, he wasn't a Lubavitcher, his parents were not from, and he himself doesn't come from a Chabad family, as far as I'm aware. Um, but, he, but, but in other words, the guys who were Makarov as a teenager were Lubavitch, Chabad, and um, he must have been in correspondence with Lubavitcher Rebbe from early age, because Lubavitcher Rebbe had this amazing correspondence with people around the world. And uh, so they said he gave... I don't know if this is true or not. You got to watch out. A lot of these things are not true. But he, he said on the thing, the Bible who told him to make the the, the Steinsalz Gemara page, like you and I are familiar with today. In which case, it's very interesting because you know a lot of people are angry. Who gave you the right to change the page and all the rest of it? The answer is Trevor. <laughs> you know, in other words, if that's true, I repeat, if it's true, then wasn't it something he made up on his own? He got what you call Das Torah. It's just interesting. So anyway. You know, it took him a while to work it out, but once he worked it out, then, you know, when the Gemara Brachas came out, then, you know, he was on a roll, and he spent the next 40 years or so, 45 years, putting out the Gemara, the, the Steinzel's Gemara. And uh, that means that he was just a lucky guy. He found favor in the eyes of the Nanfrom and of the people that count in Israel, and that's access to government money. And later on, he got millionaires to kick in, and... Uh, that, 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 of course, makes a gigantic difference. So, um, he was able to pull it off. Now, in my opinion, if he would have stuck to this, then uh, you wouldn't see any controversies, because I could be wrong, but, you know, if it's just the Gemara, um, let's put it this way, I think the Gemara got instantly popular, because he was onto something, and this is what I want to talk about. Hold on for a second. Yeah, sorry. Anyway... Uh, if it was just the Gemara, uh, I don't think it would have been so controversial, even though people could disagree with me. Uh, but then success kind of spoiled Rock Hunter, because the, the Gemara got, the, as you know, the Gemara took off, 
deservedly so. And uh, and the guy was a genius, you know. And um, so he got a big reputation. And, he, and it's clear to me that from day one, he understood the art of PR. I don't mean that in a bad way, but nevertheless, the art of PR. If you could get Eshkol and these guys on board and a uniformly positive um, uh, press from the Israeli Chiloni press and all the rest of it, and from Israeli society, you knew how to go about it in the right way. You know, saying? You know how to go about it in the right way. And because easily, the non from criticism gets, ooh, Gomorrah is stupid, you know, and, and all the rest of it. Plus, plus, I'll tell you something funny. Uh, the the Steinsaltz, he pulled off something quite remarkable, which is a sneaky from thing. The Gemara looks modern, but it isn't. <laughs> In other words, there's an entire... I'm, not wondering, I'm wondering how to approach this. Let me say the following. The, 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 there has always been, among the academics a desire to publish a academic edition of the Talmud, which would be based on different manuscripts and things like that, and a modern, non-from, non-from uh, academic uh, commentary. Uh, because Rashi didn't get it, right? Tozer didn't get it, right? Those guys in the Middle Ages, they, what do they know? You know, like that. But we, modern professors, can do it. They've been talking about this since the beginning of the Wissenschaftlers Judentums, you know, since the time of Abraham Geiger in Germany, you know, to put out the Talmud in a scientific edition. And uh, I'll give you an example. The Jewish Publication Society, back in 1930 or so, did, uh, it's famous, an edition of the Gemara Tainus, Masechtas Tainus, Ta'anit, uh, from Professor, uh, who was it again? Max Malter, uh, uh, Professor Malter, from Dropsy College, who was a totally Chilini guy. Uh, and the idea was, he went through every manuscript that's out there in the world that, that is known about. And this is therefore the most uh, accurate possible edition of Tainus. And uh, in other words, if there are 40 manuscripts, then he has more or less, not exactly, he wasn't 100% uh, consistent on this, but fairly consistent. Every variant reading if, you know, there's a difference in the gears between one and the other, that's, that's the way you put out a critical edition. And, uh, oh, it's a masterpiece. Really? Nobody ever reads that. I never heard of anybody learn Tinus with that. I actually used to, believe it or not, when I did the art scroll Tinus part of it, because their gears matter a whole lot, you know. But uh, that's me, you know. But ordinarily, nobody's ever heard of this. But nevertheless, the idea has always been around among, I would say, again, the non-from professors, uh, or JTS, places like that, Hebrew U, to put out the edition. And so that would be a modern person wouldn't know what the real Talmud Babli said, especially in context with the uh, Greek civilization out of which it emerged, the Roman civilization, the Persian civilization of the Talmud Babli, etc., etc. Maybe give that kind of background. What we call today Mechkar. Now, Steinsalz was a from guy. Matter of fact, he, he was a follower of Baba Jarebi. So he put out something that looks modern, but isn't. What do I mean? At the end of the day, it's the Gemara, the Rashi, and Tosis, I get it. And even his commentary, because that was the big Kiddush, he put his, and that's the Gainus, you know, his little commentary on the side, you know what I mean, the Steinsalz part. Um, it's, it's actually based on, uh, you know, on, uh, from sources. Right, uh, ninety-nine percent of the time, ninety-nine point two percent of the time, uh, at least as far as I can see. Uh, you know, he doesn't always follow Rashi. Usually he does, but he doesn't always follow Rashi. So what? You know, sometimes and and when he doesn't, he kind of indicates. You know, he follows what's his name, uh, the Aruch or things like that. Uh, I'll get to that a little bit later, but um, it's a from thing. It's not a mechkar kind of business. You know what I'm saying? Not really. It's not really based on, on a, a secular, uh, philological, archaeological, uh, you know, uh, interpretation of the text. But it looks like it is. <laughs> you see? And he did the shtick on the side because what he did was he took appropriation style. 
those elements of modern mechar which can be used. You know what I'm saying? So, for example, people ever since the 1800s, people have been involved in what they call the Wissenschaft der Judentums, you know, the uh, academic study of Judaism, the university study of Judaism. So, people have written useful things in terms of uh, certain aspects of uh, Talmudic literature and culture. Uh, it was very popular in Germany, for example, in Central Europe. You know, all the dissertations used to be written on these kind of things, you know, jewelry in the Talmud, gold and silver in the Talmud, uh, women's hairdos in the Talmud. You know, people used to write these kind of things for dissertations or articles. Some better, some worse. We have Professor Felix, a from guy, who wrote about the flora and the fauna in the Talmud extensively, you know. So when the Gemara talks about this bush and this plant, let's face it, to 99.9% of us, you know, we're not into the botany stuff. Now, maybe we should be, you know, in order to understand Israel, maybe we should be, but it's not real. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, they, I remember the, the Rebbe of the Vilna Gom, the Pnei Moshe, went to college in the 1700s to learn botany so he could do the Yushalmi in Israel. Okay. Like I said, there are people who are being into that, and more power to them, and I don't mean that to be funny. I admire that. But I ain't getting into the, you know, what kind of a genus this plant is, or some kind of weird animal, or something like that. It's not the usual way it's done. So he signs us as, you know, uh, does the, the reality, as they call it. If there's something about an animal, and something about a plant, and something about weights and measurements, and this kind of stuff. So he appropriated this, uh, you know, on the side, with those, with those little, uh, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it, notes, or, or, or um, drawings. But there's nothing crazy about that. Zero. So again, it looks like something that's new, but isn't really. Again, isn't really. So he basically emasculated, in my opinion, the uh, university world. Because after science, there was no interest in, in producing, the public would not be interested in producing you know, a genuinely secular Talmud, which I, which I think is just very interesting. You know? It satisfied the Israelis if it looks new, right? If it looks like something brand new, even though it isn't. So he like fooled everybody in that way, uh, which is like a cute story. And also, I think that became part of the persona. You know, the reform and the, and the conservative and the others, they loved him. Uh, he spoke in a ton of reform and, and, and conservative shows. Now, because even though he wore yarmulke and he looked like a, a schlumpy, he cultivated that image, a slumpy uh, from guy, but somehow or other he sold himself that he's not, <laughs> that he's, he transcends orthodoxy, you see? He transcends orthodoxy. And, um, and he didn't. <laughs> so, you know, he was able in that regard to, um, what should I say, to bamboozle the non-from, which, by the way, the Lubavitch have been able to do uh, many times. I don't know if I ever told you the story. Many years ago, when they used to have the Baltimore Hebrew College, which was an institution, for, it was a non-from Jewish institution, you know, sort of like a, 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 a college of Jewish studies. They were all over America. They all, almost all of them went under. This guy was there, uh, running the library, took a book out. They used to have a great library. And um, the Ruski, Russian guy, young guy, where are you from, Alabama? What are you doing here? I came here to get a a, a, a master's in Jewish education. Really? <laughs> well, he said he went to the University of Alabama, and he got and he did his bachelor's over there. That's a real university. What are you doing, Bummer? He would college. He wants to get a degree, master's in Jewish education. And I said, what what's what do you read? He said, I want to build on my um, bachelor's thesis or something like that that he did was advisor back in University of Alabama. What do you read about there? The perfect Jewish school, the community school. What's the perfect Jewish community school like we have in my town, Alabama? What's the, what do you have in your town of Alabama? The perfect Jewish school. It appeals to all elements of the community. Has it appealed to all elements of the community? He says, the teachers are not orthodox, they're not conservative, they're not reform. Really? They're not orthodox, they're not conservative, they're reform. They're neutral. What are they? They're all Lubavitch. <laughs> right? So you pull over, there's signs levels like that. You see him? I heard, I've seen him, you know, in 10,000, conservative reform, reconstruct, you name it, all kind of places. So he sold himself in this way, and therefore his Gemaras and his other writings 
were able to uh, to penetrate there, which frankly they would never get a from book by anybody else. You know what I'm saying? They'll say, I guess we have nothing from the Orthodox, we don't like that. Stein's is a different story. That's just an interesting shtick. Now, you gotta watch out. And when you get involved with trying to appeal to from, you always have the problem of paraduma. You know, Metaris You know, like paraduma. The famous side. Everybody in Kirov knows what I'm talking about. And he um, messed up on that. Uh, success went to the head of Rock Hunter. Because once his reputation took off and he was able to, you know, cultivate this niche that he can penetrate the broader Jewish world, say the non-from world. Um, so, you know, you look, I know what it's, I've been in a situation, I'm not comparing myself to him, obviously, I'm in a situation where you talk to other people, you, you have to use the sprach in order to get to them, and he went overboard. So he gave, and that's what got him in trouble those are Shach and many other people, you know, because he started talking about biblical characters and using uh, modern terms, and you know what I mean. Uh, you know, this guy, the, the Avram was a winner, Yitzhak was a loser, you know, that, that kind of talk. And, you know, it, it, it blew up in his face. But I think it's more in the nature of what I just said, which was, you know, um, he was doing very well. He got too well over there, and he, and he, and he got in over his head. Uh, but I don't want to speak about that even though if this was a typical if this was a typical uh biographical podcast I might go into that. But rather I want to confine the rest of my remarks to the science of Skimmer, what it represents. Because to me it's fascinating and I've always been interested in it and people think I'm crazy or whatever. And you know me, I'm a nut for Nakudo, so therefore I liked it from the first time it came out when I was young. Because I like Nakudos, what can you do? Makes it makes a difference. It's more fun. That's not how I was raised. You know, I had to go through the Gemara, the Shas, everything the old-fashioned way. But it's more fun. It's more aesthetically pleasing. So, um, uh, let me see this. Here you have a very fascinating phenomenon. Now we're, now we're in a trans-historic phenomenon. Ever since the beginning of the modern era, in the 1800s, you started to get a lot of people where the old Jewish community fell apart. And the old Jewish communities of yesteryear, long ago, in century after century, the study of Gemara really was not meant for everybody. Theoretically it was, but everybody knew it's very hard. And um, X number of people in the community are going to be able to do it, and the others are not. Because the text is too much beyond them. This is an issue that goes back a thousand years. Imagine what Gemara was like before Rashi came along. It really was for a, an elite. Theoretically, you know, uh, officially it's for everybody, and officially we want everybody to learn. But in real world, never was a Havamina. The most you could have in, in communities here and there, in certain times, was large number of yeshiva boys. You know, in certain times and places, large number of yeshiva boys. But believe you me, if you read the educational critics who tell the truth, I mean like the morale and the Kleoker and people like that, in every generation you'll see even a lot of guys in yeshivas didn't know what's flying. And you out there listening to me, you know what I'm talking about. Right? Or maybe you don't. But just because somebody in Sheba doesn't know he knows it's flying. Okay? And as the Gemara says, Elf Nichnasen and Echad Yezek Lahoro. So, this has simply been the way it always was. And uh, the idea of Yeshivas or things like that was to sort of separate the men from the boys. Now, if you have a community of old, it works. Because the community of old was the broad Kehillah that we spoke of many times. So let's say, just for argument's sake, I'll just make this up. Let's say you're talking about the Kehillah in Rome or uh, Frankfurt or someplace like that. So it's not a very large community. It's all Jews. X number of people will be learned. In other words, they'll, they'll be able to master going through the Gemara. Very few of those will really be what you call Baki Bashas. That's extremely rare. And the rest of the community will just follow them when it comes to Jewish matters. You see? It'll be Kehillah, it'll be a Basin, it'll be a, the, uh, the Akrut, you know, the, the, the lay leaders. And, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll tell you what to do. They'll tell you how to sell the Chumas, they'll tell you how to do the Tov of the Kalim, how to kosher things, Hilchus Noshim, they'll tell you what to do. You don't know where it comes from, really. You know, who can put a Gemara together? And especially to be a post to know from different places and shots. 
the few who know will, will tell you to do it. That's why Kills used to hire, you know, Diana and Rabbanim and things like that. It's not expected that everybody's going to be able to learn Gemara. Now, then came the modern era with the disintegration of that old community and the, and the, the different elements of, of Jews in Europe had to sort of reconstitute themselves. So, in like in a Hersheyan fashion, we can no longer say all the Jews in Berlin are the same Kehillah. There's at least two, the Orthodox and the others. There just is. And even, you understand what I'm saying? So, it's no longer the whole Kehillah that everybody follows, and a few know. Now, the, 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 those who follow are a few. It's the Orthodox element of the community. Usually, they're, they're a separate group by themselves, or something along those lines. Now, that means that it reflects the fact that under modernity pressures, people go to public school, you, you, you acculturate, you have to learn the languages, you're exposed to a whole new society, you're in urban living. All the things that we associate with the radical changes of modernity that impacted so heavily upon the Jewish people in the West, it's understood that to be a from Jew is not going to be as easy as it once upon a time was. It's not something organic you just take for granted. You have to make a conscious decision to, to go against the flow. Everybody else is going to be Michal Shabbos, you're going to be Shomer Shabbos. Everybody else is going to do, do this, eat, you know, eat out, and you're not going to. Not so easy. So one of the things that people discerned, why, why is people discerned, already in the middle 1800s was, if you want to maintain an Orthodox group, it ain't going to be successful if we do the old-fashioned system, there's a few learners, and everybody just follows orders. Because guess what? The kids growing up will say, the heck with this. And particularly when there wasn't day schools. So, where I'm going to is that there began to be discerned that it's necessary now to have more people learn. Right? What I mean is to have a personal connection to Lima Torah. To have a more personal connection to Lima Torah. Well, it's this variety, that variety, and the best variety would be if you do Gemara. Because everybody today knows if you have some kind of Dafyomi situation, it makes a big difference in your life if you have a Seder. It just does. It connects you in a way that other things don't connect you. Uh, it's possible to have what you call a Hersheyan community, you know, with a very strong Kehillah. It, it's possible, but it's much more challenging. But on the other hand, if people have some connection directly with learning, that would be a big shot in the arm to keep them from. And uh, Ari Vistrel Salanter was talking like this in the 1850s, because I spoke to him about him long ago. He was, of course, born in Lithuania, in the larger Lithuania, which was part of the Tsarist Empire. There, the Yiddish guy was on the way down. In the middle of his life, he moved to Germany. And uh, in Germany, where the Jews had more freedom, but they also had more modernity. And he saw firsthand, literally, he lived in places like Berlin and the Memel and places like that. And he saw, you aren't going to convince the average teenage or whatever to want to fulfill a from lifestyle unless they have some kind of firsthand connection with, with Lima Natura. So how are you going to do that? Because what it even if it's not going to be like in Lithuania, you know, where a guy's going to sit like in the old Lithuanian she was before. First of all, it's Gamar, Gamar, Gamar. Second of all, Chazar, 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 Chazar. Because without Chazar, 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 you're not going to become a Talmud Chacham. It's not possible in the middle class, Western European, you know, American situation. Chazar, 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 Chazar. That you need to say, I'm committing my whole day, like they used to do in Slobodka and Tells and whatever way back when. And Chazar, 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 Chazar. You have to be able just to, to, to be a monomaniac and not work for a living. It's not part of middle class existence. It's enough to it, it, to strive for, for gemar, gemar, gemar to have some kind of gemar. And so, Ori Vistrosalanter, who was a person who was totally shem shemayim, obviously, but he also thought out of the box. That they came with the Muster stuff, and he started advocating for Stein's Gemara back in in eighteen sixties. Isn't that amazing? He said we need a gemara that you know will be uh, explained in easy uh, in Hebrew. And uh, he even had a, a plan to get a committee of 100 rabbis, whatever, each guy take a page or two or, or five pages, that way they put out the whole shas with a new pirish. 
Now, uh, because he was Yisrael Salantra, they couldn't accuse him of being down from. But even in his time, this was opposed on the basis of conservatism by the regular rabbinical establishment. Mm, who are you? You're going to replace Rashi? Rashi's irreplaceable. He said, I didn't say replace Rashi, but Rashi needs to be supplemented. <gasps> How can you say Rashi needs to be supplemented? No, this is Yisrael Salantra raid. And so his plans never got off the ground. They were just proposals, but they were not adopted. Even though everybody knew he's a Godel Ador and a, a Tadek Ador and all the rest of it. But, you know, it, it, it didn't go. But that means he already saw that this is what's necessary. Now let's just pretend for a second. Let's just pretend. Suppose in the 1860s, 1870s, they would have put out a Stein's Oscar at that time. Probably would have made a big difference. In terms of roping in a whole lot of people in learning and Lima Torah who otherwise wouldn't have had shaykhs to it. But that's not what happened. Now, and he died in 1881 or 82. After him um, was uh, uh, two people that came up with the same idea again, uh, who also thought outside of the box. One was Avramelia Kaplan, who uh, was a Talmud movie, Walter Sabotka, but not a regular type. And he became the head of Hildesheimer Seminary. In other words, here's somebody who, who came to Germany, and, and anyway, he wasn't the typical yeshiva type guy, even though he was a Talmud Mubik Alter Sabotka, so super litvish, but he already saw in his time, because he dealt with boys maybe in Germany, a place like that, maybe young people in Lithuania during the First World War when the generation was breaking away from the old ways, that we have to, how should, how should I put this? You have to meet the public halfway. Does that make sense? If people are far away from learning, so you can simply say, Tough luck, cross the room and walk all the way over to my side. I get it, and you'll fit, you'll have a few that do that. But you'll have a whole lot more people if you say like this, I'll, I'll come halfway, you meet me halfway. <laughs> and the halfway would be whether it's Stein's Oskomar or Art Scroll or whatever you want to call it. You know, we'll help it in there. At least put the Nakudos. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? At least. Because if you put the, when I say Nakudos, I'm talking about the question marks and periods and all that. Because then, it, it, it's like a peerish of its own, aside from the aesthetics. Now, so our Mary Kaplan wrote a whole famous essay, and, uh, you know, it's a famous rumor in the Yeshiva world, he died young because he, he wrote that, <laughs> right? Where he said, we need a Stein's Altskumar, you need a, a new peerish, a new beer, and, you know, uh, with, with all the Stein's Alts features, with Rashi, but Malcolm here and Rashi, you know, like they have now in the regular Gemars, uh, what's it called, Mosef Rashi and all that. Uh, this is 1920. And then Ruff Cook, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, Ruff Cook has a speech. When he was the founding speech, I think, of the Merkaz Arab, which never really went anywhere, it was, he said the exact same thing. He said, we want to raise a whole generation here, big scholars in Merkaz Arab, and then they'll put out a Shant al And he more or less spelled it out. I remember, I saw it in the book. I want a, 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 a halacha, you know, at the bottom of the page, should be the Shulchan Aruch stuff, the Rambam, the Shulchan Aruch stuff, like science also does. And I also want Iyunim, in short little bursts, bullets, which is the origin of the science also Iyunim, which, which in turn is the origin of the Art Scroll Notes, which in turn is the origin of the Masifta now, and the other things that are coming out. So these were from people, but they were saying, you know, that we can't simply stand on the old system and say, cross the room and, and walk over to us. They have to go halfway towards them. And uh, everybody knows one of the big problems with Gemara is the cl- lack of clarity. These things will help with the clarity. Now, the countertine is you, you, you hurt the uh, malus, but the countertine of that is, no, that's not true. It shouldn't be the person who's omel, 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 omel to find out the, the translation of, of, of an Aramaic word. That's not called a malus. <laughs> that's a wasted amelus. Uh The amelus is to understand the svaras. You say, let's say you understand everything in, the, in front of you in the Gemara and the Rashi and the Tosis. Now you have to work that out. That's not so easy. And let alone the other Rishonim and explain why they agree with each other, why they disagree with each other, how it's no gated to other things, what's the Nakuda behind the Svar. You know, that's the Amelis. So, um, anyway, these were several famous attempts by people. There was another one in Hungary, even people in the And uh, none of these ever got off the, the ground. So Steinsaus is coming out of this tradition. He started in the 1960s when he was in his 20s through his screwball biography. And he's the one that actually pulled it off. Right? That's it. He's like the culmination in my, the way I see it, 
of this thump uh, uh, that was already seen before, really 100 years before by Yisrael Salanter and a few others. But Steinsatz pulled it off. Now, maybe you had to have a Medina Yisrael, and you had a whole set of, you know, a particular set of cultural circumstances I just described. Uh, it, wouldn't have, it wouldn't have emerged out of American Jewry. Um, but, you know, this is the way it did. And it's had the most profound consequences ever since, good and bad. Right? Now, wait a second. When the Steinsigmar started coming out in profusion, you know, because he started in, the first one came out in 1967, so over the course of the 70s, 80s, and 90s, basically, you know. Uh, so this is when it got, contra- when, let's put it this way, when it got out there, it wasn't just a weirdism thing, but a lot of people started using him and started penetrating the Yeshiva world. That's when Shach came out with the famous Isser. He said, it's not the courses, and it, and it, it should be Bali Rao, Bali Matzeh in, in the Yeshiva world. Which did work, at least officially. Right? Now, uh, there are some things that Steinsel said in the speeches that are published because he wrote many books. Now, I personally have never been interested in any of his books. I found them all boring and, this is me, and banal and so forth. But I'm not an Israeli, I'm not the audience he's talking to. But I, I was <laughs> not impressed with anything, except the Gemara's. The Gemara's are great. All the other things are very disappointing. It's very, very interesting. Um, and uh, so let me say this. So Shach didn't like the idea that somebody from his background, coming from his Ashkafas and all the rest of it, should have a Spanish world. And he did succeed in banning it from the Haredi world. But on the other hand, if it would just be that, he would not have succeeded. Because something that fulfills a, a need, you can't kill with a harem. You know what I'm saying? Something fulfills need, you can't say you're not allowed to have it. Instead, what happened was a very fascinating uh, consequence. And that was Art Scroll. Now, I was part of this. I was part of this. The Art Scroll Gemara started precisely from the Agudah Circles in America to knock out Steinsaltz. That was the reason for the Gemara. And if you look at the Ascombas, that they were able to secure for the first volumes of the art school. I think they published them all of them. If you read, you don't have to read too far between the lines. The Gdolma coming out for it are saying, you know, even though ordinarily we wouldn't necessarily be in favor of a Targum, but there's a certain one out there that's not good, and this one, we want a Yeshivish one. Okay? And as you know, the art scroll succeeded brilliantly. Meaning, the art scroll knocked uh, Steinsdorf out of the park. They knocked him out. Till today, it's kind of buckled. Which is just fascinating. This is a, a, a sociological phenomenon that I've lived through. In fact, I participate. It's actually funny. I was a fan of Steinsdorf's Gemara, but I, I helped kill it. Because <laughs> I did part of the art school. And one of, the, one of the things you do in the art school is you look at what Steinsdorf's in, just do better. Right? Now, uh, and the art school takes it to a new level, as you know. It takes it to a new level. So, uh, uh, by the time the art school is finished, First of all, they did the Bavli. Like, and, and we beat them. We, we finished before Steintals did. Okay? And it must have been very disappointing to him because by the time he finished, it was no big deal anymore because the art school was all out. Second of all, uh, you know, it, it, it made him kind of like a blasé. And third of all, the art school did an Ivrid version. Right? Now, it's a different system. Obviously, I know that like you know that. As the same source as Adav, et cetera, et cetera. And the art school, by the way, has a more consistent policy of following Rashi. Believe me, I know all that business. But um, th- there's nothing wrong with what I just said. That's called capitalism. That's called competition. There's nothing wrong with that. We call that Kineso from Tarbachachma. Right? The Steinsaltz, in a dialectical fashion, and he's a dialectician, begat the art school. You understand? Uh, so it's funny. This guy who pulled off this amazing thing was put in the shadows by this Frumi operation, by this Kareni operation, which simply beat him. That's all. They beat him. So I still like the art school. I'm sorry, I still like the Steinsaltz, but the art school is better. <laughs> if you want to get down to it. You know what I'm saying? If you want to get down to it. Um, and as you know, Steinsaltz even said, I'm going to start to do your Shalmi, but that's too much for a guy to take one. He only lived one life. And, you know, he put one volume out there, but obviously that was going nowhere. And, um, 
pay or something like that. The article put out the Yerushalmi. So I'll say it again. That's totally legitimate. You put something out. I disagree with what you did. So the answer is, well, then do something better. Okay, so we did something better. You see, they did something better. Meanwhile, the result is, in the best capitalist system, the public is the beneficiary. Okay? Because the result of what I call the Steins, that's why I said today, I'm going to talk about the Steins within the context of a historical phenomenon. And this historical phenomenon is the big story of my lifetime. And that is, these new reality of trying to make Svarim more accessible and more user-friendly to the public. And it's precisely what Rishol Slanta was talking about 150 years ago when he said, in the modern world, if you want people to be from, they have to have a, an, an immediate experience of Lima Torah. You understand? They have to have an immediate experience that the average person can go and actually open up a Gemara and go through it. Or a Mishnayis, or uh, this, or now even a Yushalmi. This is going to, we're now in a, we're in a revolutionary age. The public, throughout Jewish history, the public had never had access to Yushalmi. It's always for Yechidei school. That's it. It's, it's beyond the capacity of regular public. And the old Mepharshim don't help that much. You know, so we're now living in a new era. Now, nobody knows the consequences of this. The Gedolim have always been opposed to translations. I'm not 100% wrong. This goes back to, um, you know, when uh, when they translated the Septuagint. Remember the, the, in the, you know, in Egypt they celebrated, the Jews celebrated the translation of the Bible into Greek, and Eretz Yisrael, they declared it a fast day. That means thousands of years ago you already had two schools of thought, whether it's good or bad. And both, there's, there's a Sephar to each one. There just is. You understand? So, um, let me put it this way. As a result of the art scroll and the Steins, all the rest of it, the reform, the conservative, and others are getting now into Gemara, which, which is a good and a bad thing. They have the feminist thing, which is a good thing, which is a crazy thing. Uh, you understand? People now are able to take the Gemaras and misapply them, which they try to do, uh, because they have shaykhs to it. So every Tom, Dick, and Harry now can go and, cl- and try to ground themselves, himself and herself in the Gemara. Um, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have all these movements in modern Judaism without the Gemara being opened up by the Steinsos and the Art Scroll and similar things like that. Um, the Ford the Feminist thing, the Avi Weiss thing, all, all, all sorts of things like that. So there's, there are a constant set of dialectics going on. A leads to B, but then comes the contradiction to it. It's, it's just a very fascinating cultural process you and I are living in. But the you know, what's the expression? The genie's out of the bottle. You understand? And by the way, the anti-Semites can now access the Gemara, and they do. It's it's uh, it's not push it. It's not push it. So, Steinzel is therefore a historic uh, marker in this process, which is not over. The positive side, with this I'll conclude, the positive side is that little by little, um, the positive side is that um, the sky's the limit. Um, I'm not in charge of our school, but it would make sense that the next thing to do is a whole series called Lambdas, for example. If you do in English, maybe with diagrams, I don't know, or maybe movies now on the internet. I'm serious, I'm not being funny. You know, with, with uh, uh, visuals and things like that, of this Ukimta and that one, I mean, I, I used to say years ago for a joke, but it's not going to be a joke. You know, you can present the Arsamech's costumes in the form of a movie, the Rajput thing in the form of a movie. Well, why not? If 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 you get it right. And so we're going to be opening up uh, the Torah Shabbat in an unprecedented way, uh, which is which which we which we're in favor of. But on the other hand, you always have to watch out Will people be able to... Uh, all I can say is it's going to be available to a much wider public than ever before with all the pluses and, and minuses that go along with the wider public. The danger is that the wider public will include people who use it for bad, but that's always a problem with opening up any technology. Right? The same atomic energy that can be used you know, to heat uh, and provide energy can blow up a city. That's, that, that's the nature of modern science, modern technology. And so science is... is is a moment in this, when when I would say, and with this I conclude, when modern technology 
met the Torah Shaval Peb. And that's a, a, an event of historic importance within the framework of a thousand years. Uh, anyway, have a good day. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.